You're listening to the Nutmeg Arena by the Nutmeg Assist. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 50 of the TNA podcast brought to you by the Nutmeg Assist. Myself Ritvik the host of the show. Today in this special episode we're going to be covering a special topic and we have a special guest as well joining us. But before we introduce him I'd like to welcome Chris the co-host of the show as well. Welcome Chris once again. Thank you very much. Looking forward to this one. Should same be good. Thing. Yeah, yeah, same thing here. And the special guest for today's episode is Karan Tejwani. He is he has written the book Wings of Change. It's on the Red Bull clubs and how Red Bull went from an energy manufacturer drink to dominating the football world as well. You you, you could perhaps say dominating, but yeah. So welcome Karan to the show. Hi, thank you, Rizvik. Thanks for having me on. Great, great. So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I take it as a, a joint thank you. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Karan, so before we start, would you like to tell us a little bit about your book? Um, so, the Wings of Change covers the influence of Red Bull in football. Um, it looks at how Red Bull. despite being so controversial are so uh, so much fun to watch i think that many people will say that they should not exist in football but while they said but why i say that sort of thing they will also admit that they are a fun team to watch and uh, they have a very streamlined project going on um but yeah it covers a lot of things it covers the main people involved in the project people like ralph ranick people like jesse marsh uh, and then really nagelsman and a few others it also looks at the philosophies which is you know promoting youngsters uh, going through uh, intensive international scouting and bringing in players from uh, different parts of the world and then there are a few interviews as well with people like bradley rash phillips who played for the new york red bulls and ern stanner who was the academy coach at red bull salzburg so it's a mix of a lot of things and it tells the story of red bulls influence in football over the last 15 years great great and we'll actually start this episode with our patron questions but yeah. I, i i i let chris start with the patron question yeah this is a bit of a change as we change this round this week because uh, our patron questions are actually very good from what i've seen this week so we thought yeah. we'd uh, we'd get the show up and running with them because sure. Um, well, yeah, like I said, the, the Patreon questions are really good, so I think it's a good way to start the show this week. So this is from these questions are from our Patreon Paul Signer, Karen, yeah. uh, and to get the ball rolling, uh, basically we're going. Can you see any? Re- can you see Red Bull purchasing any other teams in the future? Uh, it's hard to see it in Europe because uh, there's a lot of issues with UEFA's conflict of interest rules. So it's hard because the last time uh, Red Bull Salzburg and RB Leipzig qualified for European competition there was an issue with UEFA which is there's a law where two clubs who have the same owners cannot be uh, playing in European competition so they had to make a few switches at a boardroom level so yeah. it's difficult to see it happening in Europe in a first team capacity maybe they'll they'll have a developmental club in the second or third division of some, of some country Uh, just so that they can send some players out on loan there once in a while. Um, yeah. But but in Europe it's it's very unlikely. And maybe out, out overseas they already have a club in uh, the, in North America with the New York Red Bulls. In South America they have two clubs in Brazil. So maybe if they go back to some historical links because Red Bull were formed in Thailand, maybe they'll start up an academy somewhere in Asia. But yeah. it's very unlikely that they start a club or invest in a club uh, out and out. Yeah. So just, I mean just to build on Paul's question there uh, I mean they've got strong ties with Africa 
in terms of yep. the players, some of the players that come through, well, specifically Salzburg uh, and Leipzig. I mean, w- w- would Africa not be the the main aim next, or is it maybe is that is that maybe due to the actual the countries themselves maybe playing a part and then not being able to have a club over there? I doubt it's going to happen because they had a club in Africa for a very brief period. Uh, it was called Red Bull Ghana and it lasted for about yeah. six years. And um, they shut down operations in 2014 because they didn't have much knowledge about the region. So, yeah. And they, they didn't shut down the operations there entirely. They formed links with uh, different academies throughout the continent. Uh, yeah. Academies like Kafue Celtics in Zambia. Um, academies like... Uh, the West African Football Academy in Ghana. So they, they find the best talents from these respective academies and uh, bring them over to Europe, either in Salzburg or in Leipzig. So that's what, that's the same thing as I said earlier. They will form links with academies worldwide, and that's perhaps a more um, economically beneficial way to go about things as well. So it's very yeah. unlikely for clubs out and out, but academy level and developmental level, that's certainly a very big chance. Yeah. And another question that Paul has asked is, how much of a benefit to the Red Bull brand is there in owning these clubs? So yeah, um, can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, fine. sorry about yeah. that. Sorry, my mic cut off. Um, right. So um, uh, from a brand perspective, it's it's incredibly massive. Um, I don't really have the numbers for it, but uh, there is always an insinuation that Red Bull are doing this to promote their brand. Um, yeah. You know, if you look at uh, the involvement of the sports or sports like F1 or any winter sports, they're always trying to promote their brand by having their advertisement either on the, the products that they use, you know, the F1 cars or uh, in any motocross bikes or anything like that. So they're always trying to get their brand uh, up front. And given that football is such a popular sport and Leipzig particularly have been playing in the Champions League for three of the last four seasons and they reached the semifinals last year. It's a definite boost to their brand. Um, if you go down to Brazil, you will see that last year when Red Bull Bragantino got promoted, uh, Red Bull conducted this sort of ceremony to commemorate their uh, promotion. And fans of the club were happy to wear Red Bull shirts. You know, it was a shirt that adorned Red Bull's logo and they were happy to wear those shirts. And So there's definite uh, increase in their popularity of the brand. And that is one of the aims of Red Bull's uh, football influence, that they want to help grow the energy drink. Yeah, yeah. And would, again, building on Paul's question there, would you say at the moment football is the main part of the Red Bull brand or would you say other sports are still, still it's still catching up to the other sports? I, I their, yeah, I still feel it's catching up to perhaps F1. F1 the F1 team's been around for uh, nearly two decades now. I think it's about 15 or 16 years. So... Uh, they're definitely speeding up fast, as I said earlier, with Leipzig uh, obviously reaching the Champions League semi-final was a massive deal for them. So it's definitely they're definitely catching up uh, as the most popular, and they will be the most popular sport for Red Bull and the most profitable one. Um, you know, the founder of Red Bull or the co-founder of Red Bull, uh, Dietrich Mateschitz, always looks for profit in things, and if he doesn't find profit, he will drop the project. So yeah. Given the football operations have been running on for so long and he's finding considerable success in it, there's, it's definitely worth saying that they are finding the desired results in, in football. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned Leipzig. That brings us on to Paul's third and final question. Yep. Um, I mean, they're, they're widely regarded by many in, 
by many fans in Germany is one of the most hated clubs, probably the most hated club within the uh, within the, the the German leagues. Has that perception changed now that they given their success last year in the Champions League, or is it starting to change in any way? I do feel with the older fans, the more traditional fans who've been watching for over say 15, 20, 30 years, they definitely feel Red Bull or Leipzig are a more um, test tube sort of club. You know, they're they're not very yeah. authentic. Have uh, the same history as the other clubs in the Bundesliga. Uh, when you look at clubs like Kaiserslautern, who've been struggling in the lower division of, Bundes- of the German league ladder, or even Arminia Bielefeld, who just got promoted for the first time in over a decade this season, um, they definitely feel that these older traditional clubs should have a chance of playing in the Bundesliga, but because they don't have the same financial backing. Uh, Leipzig and even Hoffenheim take up their place. So uh, the older, older traditional fans definitely do feel that Leipzig and their model should not exist. Um, the way they got here, they started off in the fifth division, which is they skipped a few divisions of, you know, ideally yeah. they were in the twelfth division if they were a new club, but they started in the fifth division. So that's a bit controversial. Then they spent a lot of money, around 50 odd million euros, uh, between the fifth division and the first division, you know, in order to get there. And that's the sort of money no other club in that level has. So, and obviously then the 50 plus one, they, circum- they circumvented the 50 plus one rule and that's perhaps the biggest sin in German football um, yeah. for a football club. So, you know, given those few factors and the fact that they're obviously still very controversial, the traditional fans don't feel that they should have a place in the Bundesliga. I do feel the younger ones do have uh, more of an acceptance, you know, that football's going yeah. this way. Um, you know, they're against the whole modern uh, modern football sort of thing where they do want clubs like these but they can't do anything about it so they just accept that it's happening and more clubs like this will emerge in the future maybe in Germany maybe anywhere else but this is the way of the game right now where money triumphs over emotion or just plain football yeah. so you know there are more accepting people than there were there are more accepting people now than there were five or six years ago but it's still a very still quite a controversial topic in German football yeah and have Salzburg gone through anything? Um, I know Salzburg were already a club and probably a lot more established in, in Austrian football um, in terms of uh, their, their status before Red Bull got involved. But have they suffered any kind of similar uh, similar sort of dysfunction from, from from opposing fans since Red Bull become heavily involved in the club? Yeah. Uh, the difference between German and Austrian football is that Austrian football isn't as fan-centric as German football is. Yeah. Uh, you know, so before even before Red Bull's takeover of Salzburg, uh, Austria Salzburg, the club they took over, were, were known uh, were known to have a sponsor in their name. You know, they were called Casino yeah. Salzburg at one point in time, and they played the UEFA Cup final with that name. Yeah. So it's not uncommon to have sponsors in your club's name. Many clubs have done that before. Uh, the problem with Red Bull's takeover of, Salz, of Austria Salzburg was that when they took over, the club's name was changed, the club's crest was changed, their, their colours, their stadium name, basically their whole identity. And that's what really infuriated supporters and, you know, made Red Bull a very despicable organisation in Austrian football. Um, right now, people are a little more accepting because obviously Red Bull is a Salzburg company. They have their headquarters in Salzburg. Dietrich Mateschitz, the co-founder, lives in Salzburg. And he pays, a, he pays his taxes in Salzburg. So, you know, they do feel it's more of a local thing. But yeah. uh, it's very unlikely that you go to a city like Vienna and you find a, a Salzburg fan, a very accepted yeah. Salzburg fan. Because outside of that Salzburg bubble, um, people are still very unwelcoming of them. And obviously, given their financial power, you know, 
they've been winning the Bundesliga for I think the last six years or seven of the last eight years. But they won the they won the Austrian Bundesliga several times in the last few years, and same with the OFB Cup. They have a yeah. much bigger um, financial supporting system than other clubs, so that's obvious reasons for hating a club. But they they do face backlash, but it's significantly lesser than what Leipzig face. Yeah, and just uh, just before we move on to our second set of Patreon questions, which Rick will ask you in a minute, you, you've touched on Leipzig and, and the amount of. Well, once certainly once upon a time, the hatred that they've got from opposing fans, and you touched upon the fifty plus one rule in mm-hmm. Germany, which, in some sense, I mean, on, from the outside looking in, the fifty plus one rule seems like a great thing for football clubs, especially sort of from from English fans look at, looking from the outside. But there's a sense now, a bit of sense in Germany that maybe it's holding some clubs back that rule, just because maybe the those clubs need a bit more investment from, say, from from overseas. I think in Leipzig's case, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kai, I've got very much the perception that, okay, yeah, they have had the benefits and the, and the advantages than the lower league teams, like you've mentioned, Kaiserlautern specifically, of having that funding. But when if you if Red Bull are promoting youth and they're putting money into the club and the club are then going out and buying younger players from, like you said, all around the world and they're doing really everything that a football club should be. It's not like they're using the club to promote their brand and then not sort of putting any money back into the club. Then as a football fan, surely that, that's that got to be seen as a positive thing, hasn't it? In a way, yes. Um, you know, when, when Leipzig reached the Champions League semi-final, there was a massive debate of whether this club is acceptable and what I felt was a majority of them felt it was fine because of the reasons you mentioned. You know, they promote younger players and uh, their spending isn't as significant as, you know, a Manchester City or a PSG. Yeah. Um, and you're right when you say that perhaps looking from a perspective outside of Germany, that's yeah. fine. But German football is so fan-centric and it's not just about um, the 50 plus one rule alone. You know, Leipzig have made a very made a few controversial decisions that haven't gone well, even with Leipzig fans. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you may have seen plenty of times over the years where German football is incredibly political. They they voice their concerns over political issues. You know, the um, refugee crisis in 2015. They want equality in games, equality for uh, women, equality for uh, homosexuals. So that's the sort of thing RB Leipzig have been. The club themselves have tried to squash. In a way, yeah, and um, you know, even financially, there was a case a couple of years ago where they uh, financed their debt in a way that other clubs would not be able to because they don't have the money. So, yeah, you know, they're not as uh, extravagant with their spending as a PSG or a Man City, but in their own way, they are making decisions that aren't going down very well with German German football fans. So, yeah. I do understand the perspective of international fans to say that they're doing good things for football. But if you look at it from a German perspective, you'd understand why uh, they are so despised. Even personally, for me, I didn't really follow German football that well until about three or four years ago. And, you know, yeah. for me, it was, you know, like they're doing an OK thing. But when you understand German football culture, um, you will try to figure out, you'll, you'll understand why exactly Leipzig are so hated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh... Uh, and, and we'll come back onto that subject uh, after Rifwick has finished with our next set of Patreon questions through Dieter. Yeah. 
and this this these questions are from data so we actually you actually answered chris's questions regarding leipzig so this is data's question mainly surround the team the red bull team from the other bundesliga in austria yeah. which is red bull salzburg so, yeah. so salzburg actually is a team known for producing a lot of wonderful young players we've seen in the last few years sadio mane was part mm-hmm. nabi keita again because those two are liverpool players obviously so i i, I just recall both of them there've been a lot of other players as well howland yeah. now minamino as well yeah minamino yeah, yeah absolutely so they 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 kind of like a factory who produce wonderful young players and mostly you see team i mean players the young players from salzburg move to germany or maybe uh, a, 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 a kind of a temporary location first like they kind of try to build their career in germany first and then they seek for that big move but His DJ's first question is about one such youngster Paxson Daka who's currently at Salzburg so he's actually shown a lot of promise he's a one he's a player who is definitely one to look out for this season and also in the upcoming years so his question is regarding uh, regarding the number of goals that you expect Daka to score this season but do you, do you, do you think Daka will be a huge success as well Karan Yeah, definitely. He's definitely going to be a big player in the future. He's definitely the sort of player who's going to move from Salzburg for maybe 30, 35, maybe 40 million euros. He he has the quality, he has all the necessary attributes you need from a top forward. And you know, he's still quite young and this is his first season uh where he's been given the role of being the first choice number 9. Um you know, last season it started with Erling Haaland and he did very well for himself and got a move to Dortmund. and midway through the campaign Pat Sandaka was you know sort of thrust into the spotlight and he did very well for himself he scored was it 24 goals all season um so i expect him to score more than that this season he'll definitely break the 30 barrier um he's already scored he's already got 6 in 3 games this season so you know he's going for a big number for sure if yeah. if he gets 40 it's, it's a very big deal but a lot of it depends on on the champions league as well um maybe by the time this podcast is out Salzburg will have qualified for the playoff round um but i do feel that Salzburg will reach the group stage of the Champions League once again this season and if he does a good job like Haaland did last season where Haaland scored i think six goals in the group stages if Daka scores maybe four or five um there could be a move for him as early as the winter transfer window so um back to your question i do feel that he will score at least 30 goals a season if he plays the entire season at Salzburg and a good target for him would be to score four or five in the champions league if yeah, they make and, it. yeah and, and building on the question again karan i mean which club probably do you expect or which league do you expect dhaka to move because there's been a lot of interest from england uh, france and also germany so where do you actually expect him to move or where do you think uh, will he actually fit the best uh, realistically i mean i think you like this answer i think that he'd make a very good fit at liverpool yeah. um but maybe it's too soon in his career to move there um uh, personally I, i think this summer he would have moved to leipzig if they didn't swat, if they didn't sign huang already uh, obviously given the leipzig and salzburg connection it's quite easy for him to move there as well um but next season surely if leipzig is struggling in attack uh, daka is definitely the perfect option for them um he has very similar characteristics to uh, timo werner with his with regards to his movement and his speed so leipzig is definitely a good option uh, liverpool is another option so i expect it to be between those two uh, especially if firmino doesn't get the goals this season you know i, I know his main object main uh, role in the team is to not get goals 
but Daka definitely has those characteristics to link up with the rest of the teammate, rest of his teammates. Um, but I, I definitely do feel it's between the two of them, Liverpool and Leipzig. But a lot of it depends on how their forwards perform this season. Yeah, and, and another uh, player there at, at at Salzburg who's kind of really caught the attention of a lot of people is Dominic Soboslai. Yep. He's been a hot, hot player this summer. He's actually performed wonderfully last season and even in the Champions League as well. And there's, there's potentially a lot of suitors for him. So, DJ's second question is, where do you expect Soboslai to end up? Because... It's again, we have, uh, I, I guess we still have 15, 20 days of the transfer window left and especially in England, I mean, and do you see him moving this summer or again, do you expect another winter transfer fiasco concerning Soboslai? It's definitely not going to happen this summer, I feel. Uh, I feel it's too late for him to go. Um, and Salzburg have been pretty keen on keeping him as well. Um, but with regards to his next move, next summer definitely seems like he and Daka will leave for sure. Um, for Sabazla, I feel that Arsenal would be a very good option. Uh, they're in need of a creative player. Um, maybe next summer will be too late for them to move because they might sign a midfield already this summer. But um, I feel that Arsenal is definitely a good option for him because he fills, you know, he takes all the boxes for a player he needs, uh, they need. And you know, if Arsenal get in the Champions League next season. Um, it could be the perfect move for him. You know, it's a club in transition, a club that's developing with a few young players around him. So it'll be the perfect move for him and the club. And he's definitely, he's definitely very talented. So there's no doubt that it would be a very good fit for him. Yeah. And Dieter's third question again. I mean, we touched upon two players who are pretty much in the young phase of their career. They're actually a long way off their peak. But again, another question from Dieter's regarding the biggest under-20 talents at the Red Bull clubs. So... Do, 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 do you have some names in your mind who, who yeah. you think that people should watch out for? Yeah, sure. Um, I can't speak for the Bragantino and the New York players, uh, but for the European players from both Salzburg and Leipzig, there are a couple of names that have stood out over the last few years. The biggest one is obviously Kari Madayemi, who plays for Red Bull Salzburg. Um, he's still under 20. I think he's 20 this, this year. Um, but um, he's definitely the biggest talent coming out of Salzburg. People feel that he can be the next big thing from the Salzburg carousel of talents. Um, he already played for the first team plenty of times this year, uh, and he got a lot of appearances in the UEFA Youth League where he was very impressive. So I do feel that he's definitely one to watch out for. He's a German footballer as well, played for the youth teams, I believe. Um, but from Salzburg, he's the biggest talent. Um, another Salzburg player is Noah Okafor. Uh, he's also been featuring in the, in, the, in the first team a couple of times this season, Swiss Youth International. And he also turned 20 this year, uh, and he's almost 21 uh, in the coming months. So those two, Adeyemi and Okafor, will definitely be the biggest players coming out of Salzburg. You know, maybe in two or three years, maybe they'll be the next Sadio Mane, uh, the sorts of players who move abroad for a significantly big fee. Uh, with Leipzig, it's, it's a few younger players, uh, a few of the academy players, a player called Hugo Nova, Novoa, sorry. Um, he was signed from Deportivo La Coruña last year. Or two years ago, or last year, I think, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was signed from Depor last year, and he's been playing in the academy. People and Leipzig, you know, they feel that he can be the next player to break from the academy into the first team. Uh, the club themselves haven't had much luck with regards to players playing in the first team because the academy, the path from the academy to the first team has been blocked by the amount of talent in the first team. So uh, there, there are a few players in the academy who they have big hopes for. The other, the other two players are. 
a Dutch pairing, uh, Solomon Bona, who was signed from Ajax, and Noah Ohio, who was signed from Manchester City. Um, you know, last year, I, uh, last year Leipzig did this thing where they wanted to revitalize the academy in terms of coaching, in terms of uh, talent they bring in from abo- abroad, because there were too few academy graduates playing in the first team. So they've gone beyond borders and signed some international players in order to boost their academy. And I do feel that in the next three or four years, there will there will be a few graduates from the Leipzig academy who play for the first team. So yeah, it's those three players for Leipzig. You got Novoa, Salomon Bono, and Noah Ohio. Yeah, and and just just about the age of twenty, you have players like Tyler Adams, Danny Olmo, yep. Christopher Nkunku as well, who are players who definitely people should look out for because they're really really talented and Tyler Adams definitely showed that last season. Yeah. So yeah. And I have big expectations for Tyler Adams. Um, obviously, the goal against Atletico Madrid was big for his career. Yeah. And I do feel that this season he will have more chances in the first team. You know, he was a bit of a rotational midfielder last season. But this year, with Lima's injury issues and Sabitzer's, Sabitzer not being fit uh, for the first few weeks of the season, I do feel he'll get more chances to play. And hopefully, he, he he's definitely a good player. And hopefully, he gets more chances to prove it. Yeah. And coming on to the final patron question here, Karan from data itself so this is regarding your book so i mean red bull obviously is a big big story to cover the red bull football clubs is was that the motivation behind writing a book or if not what was it it was a reason that i mentioned earlier that you know uh, the red bull clubs they're not very liked around the world but um, they do do they do a lot of good things in the game itself with regards to their promotion of younger talent and the international scouting network and obviously Ralph Ranick who um, I think I've mentioned this many times that I, I do really like Ralph Ranick and he is basically the mastermind behind this whole thing and he's one of the figures that I've tried to learn a lot from in terms of coaching um, but yeah those three reasons you know their intensive promotion of younger players the international scouting network and Ralph Ranick uh, those were three massive reasons for writing the book uh, they, from a personal perspective I felt that writing a book was a good step to take you know whenever you work on something natural progression is necessary and I started writing when I was 16 I've been writing for about five years now featuring mainly on online publications so I felt it was a good time to uh, write a book I definitely had the time for it with regard with COVID and all that going on and lockdown so I had the time for it and I had uh, the resources and I could pull it off so it's a mix of personal goals and um, the topic itself being very interesting. Great yeah. to hear that. Great to hear that. Yeah. You've so sorry. Uh, you you you've touched on Ralph Ranyak there. Yep. Karen and uh, I think I th- I don't think we could really have a podcast and speak about Red Bull without speaking about Ralph Ranyak, yeah. especially given the the influence he's had over the football side of the brand since it's begun. Really. Um, were you were you surprised at his res- resignation f- from the role? And his decision to move on? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, when the agreement with Milan broke down, it was almost certain that he would leave. Yeah. Even he agreed to stay on for a, a while longer. But with when when the time came, it felt as though he achieved everything he could uh, with Red Bull. You know, when he joined in 2012, the objective was to streamline the team. When, when he joined the team was both teams, Salzburg and Leipzig, well, they had older players, they had expensive players, they had players who were not performing to the, to the highest level. It was basically a group of players in the twilight of their careers, just older ones who were looking to make a, a final uh, final wage in their careers. 
So his objective when he joined was to streamline the whole system and ensure Leipzig reached the Bundesliga. And he did yeah. that in the eight years he was there. While it, when he joined, they were playing in the third division. And when he left, they were Champions League semi-finalists or Champions League quarter-finalists because he left one month before they, they reached the semi-final. So he definitely achieved his objective while he was there. And he must have felt there was nothing more he could do uh, to make them better. Uh, they have, he, he left the resources in place. He left a very good coach in Leipzig, you know, perhaps the best young coach in the world with Julian Nagelsmann. And even yeah. in Salzburg, they had a good system with their academy. So when players left Salzburg, there were always players to replace them. A lot of people say that it's very similar to the Ajax model, but obviously Ajax are um, self, self-depend. Uh, but yeah, he, there was nothing more to achieve for him and he, fe- he must have felt he needed a new challenge. And in an interview he, last month, he said that his next job has to be at a club where he's guaranteed to win trophies. And maybe he yeah. feels that he needs to add more trophies to his CV because I think in his CV he just has one DFB Pokal with Schalke. So maybe it was a mix of personal goals and you know the feeling that his work was done and a new challenge awaited him. Yeah, and you, you mentioned there uh, maybe that's a good point that you've raised. Obviously, his CV in terms of trophies won is probably relatively bare uh, apart from that one trophy. But I mean, I'm a massive Ralph Rangnick fan, and I think his influence over German football, certainly since since the start of this century, has been. I mean, you could you could you could argue that he's been the most influential, given the amount of effect that he's had on Nagelsmann, Thomas Tuchel, even Jurgen Klopp. Do you think that goes under the radar a little bit, given his influence over German football? Um, definitely, yeah. I mean, I could go on for about two hours about this, but um, yeah. he's, he's definitely the most important figure, or maybe one of, if I want to be generous, but he's definitely up there as one of the more important figures in German football uh, for the last two decades. Um, his work started all the way back in 1980s when he was watching uh, Dynamo Kiev and Valery Obnovsky with, with their systems of, of pressing and intensity. And he learned yeah. from that and tried to, uh, try to put that in into his teams. Uh, you know, with, when he joined Stuttgart as a youth coach, he put that model into action for younger players at a time when nobody else was doing it. You know, he came on TV in 1998 and explained his, his philosophies. And at the time, German football was still very backward. They were still uh, going on with the sweeper system and all that. And Ralf Ranić said, that's the, he didn't say it was, he didn't directly say it, but he was trying to imply that German football is incredibly backward. And even the national team coaching came out and said, uh, Ranić, you're wrong. And you're being, you know, you're, you're acting that you're way too big for your boots and all that. But yeah, in time, it was proven that he was right. Um, in uh, After the television appearances, Germany, they had a bad tournament in 2000, at Euro 2000. Uh, they had a good World Cup in 2002, but that was mainly down to luck. They played teams like Saudi Arabia and the USA on the way to the World Cup final. And, you know, they beat teams they ideally should have beaten. So you could say in a way that 2002, they were arguably the worst World Cup finalists ever because they had such an easy run to the tournament. And when they faced Brazil, they were rightly beaten. Yeah. Uh, and in 2004, once again, they had a bad Euros when they finished last in the group. Um, so in time, it was proven that Ragnik was right. And in the 90s, there were very few teams who were applying his methods. One of them were Mainz, uh, where Jürgen Klopp was playing. And that was perhaps an influence on him as well. Uh, Klopp has often said that he learned a little bit from coaches like Ragnik. Uh, and they've carried on that influence, you know, 
these coaches that you see nowadays, Marco Rosa, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, Jesse Marsh, they all learned from that era of German football when it was transitioning from the sweeper system to uh, Ranić's methods of, of aggressive pressing and uh, you know yeah. back four. So uh, they've all learned from Ranić in a way and. Even the coaches you see now, as I said, Marco Rose, he was coached by Rannick at one time. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann was coached at, was was learning at Hoffenheim and Nagelsmann was at Hoffenheim and Rannick was at Hoffenheim and Rannick at the time was applying all his methods there. So all these coaches in a way learned from Rannick uh, at different points in their career and you can see their success now. Uh, it's no surprise that German coaches have been involved in each of the last three Champions League finals. They are the best uh, best in the world for teaching their coaches, and a lot of that comes down to Ralf Rangnick. Yeah, yeah, and and Karan, I, I mean, you mentioned Ralf Rangnick there. I I just wanted to bring in another guy, Jesse Marsh, who actually worked under Rangnick at Leipzig as his assistant in the 1920. I mean, uh, when when Rangnick was yeah, the manager of Leipzig, yeah, 1819, and he actually was was coaching the New York Red Bulls in the US where he actually became I guess if I'm not wrong he became their most successful manager ever and mm-hmm. yep. he, he he also set a record there I guess uh, for, for I mean New York Red Bulls best season yep. Yep. so I mean after the success there he actually moved here to Leipzig to be part of Rangnick's as I mean Rangnick's team and he was assistant there but once Marco Rosa, again, an, another top manager who left Salzburg, he, he was the manager of Salzburg. So Jesse Marsh took over Salzburg and I was hearing this podcast, which the other the guys at the other Bundesliga did with March last last summer, if I'm not wrong. Yeah. And it, it was a really good podcast where he actually explained the insights and how it is to work with uh, the Red Bull clubs. And he, he kind of explained different stuff. But as a manager, as a coach, Jesse Marsh is someone who's actually again caught the attention. I mean, everyone who kind of, almost everyone who kind of manages or gets into a role at the Red Bull clubs manages to impress the people, impress, uh, impress the, the pundits or anyone else in the footballing world. So Marsh is another top coach who is going to get a big move soon. So what do you make of March or March's career so far? Um, I, I do feel he's very a very good coach and um, he's done a lot in his career already, as you mentioned with the New York Red Bulls. When he joined the New York Red Bulls, people didn't appreciate it because he had very little coaching experience. And when, in, in one of his first appearances to the public, uh, he really angered supporters by saying that he wants Red Bull to play, he wants New York Red Bulls to play like Red Bull, the energy drink. And people felt that he was a bit of a corporate appointment. You know, that he was there just there to boost the brand and all that. But he really proved people wrong in his first season when they had their greatest season ever. And from there, he just built on his career. And and he's one of the biggest success stories from Red Bull's influence in football. You know, Red Bull want their teams playing in a particular way, with the, which is the Ranjik way of, as I mentioned, vertical football, just playing with aggression, playing with speed, playing with um, a lot of high pressing. So he... Uh, put those methods into play at New York and he deservedly got his chance to work under Rangnick and learn more about European football in 2018. So while all that was happening, he he learned a lot about how to make things and it's very rare to see American coaches succeeding in Europe, but he was a bit of an outlier. He set the benchmark for American coaches and it's a big success for the country as well. Um, 
obviously you mentioned the Salzburg job. He when he got the Salzburg job, the Salzburg fans weren't very happy. They released the banner uh, before his announcement. They said that they don't want Marsh being at the club. But he pro- he proved out was wrong there as well. You know, right now I think out of the last five or six coaches they have, Marsh has been arguably the best one. They've been scoring goals at free will. And they even played in the Champions League, which no other manager achieved before. So, um, you know, there's definitely massive potential in him, and he's also very young. Uh, you mentioned Marco Rosa as well, and even Yuri Nagels, and all three of them are young managers, still uh, below 40 years of age. Oh, Rose is 43, Marsh is around that age as well, but, you know, they're, they're under 45 years of age, and they still got a good 15, 20 years left in management. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely massive potential in him, and I think that he's going to have a very good career. Maybe one day he'll move over to England and perhaps play in the Champions League more consistently. So, yeah, that's, that's the main point. Yeah, he has a massive career ahead of him. Yeah, fair, fair. And you mentioned Liverpool as well, and obviously you support Liverpool. But um, when Klopp leaves, I think that one of those three, Nagelsmann, Rosa or Marsh, will definitely be considered as his replacement because that would make most logical sense, you know, when yeah, clubs yeah. are going in a successful pattern, they want to replace them with managers who have an identical philosophy, and those three do share the identical philosophy with Klopp. So logically, when Klopp leaves, one of those three will definitely be considered, provided they're still good in their careers. Yeah, personally as well, I I think I would also prefer one of those three. I mean, Rosa is especially another interesting character that he's actually played under Jürgen Klopp at Mainz. So there's there's that as well. Yeah, you know, we've had clubs like, Chelsea and United who just sacked managers for fun and appointed a different manager who has a completely different philosophy and the whole process is ruined. But Liverpool, if they continue this, this run that they're on, uh, they'll definitely do well. Yeah. <laughs> um, just one last question on Ralph Ranić, Karen. Yep. What's next for him, um, in your opinion? He, uh, he wants a winning project, as I mentioned earlier. He said that in an interview. Yeah. He wants a project where he can win trophies. Uh, but at the moment, it doesn't seem like any club wants him. Logically, logically, I think that if he gets the freedom, Manchester United should go for him. And yeah. it's it's a combination of factors that would make it very successful. You know, United in recent years have had this philosophy of wanting to make as much money as they could. But given that the players have performed so poorly, they can't sell their players on for a very high fee. At Red Bull, Ralph Ranić always had this philosophy of buying low and selling high. So that would suit perfectly for United. But they won't have to sell each time because, you know, they're a much bigger club than Leipzig are. Um, even when it comes down to the academy, Red Bull have been very good with their academy. United have, have probably the most successful academy team or academy system in England. So there's another factor working out there. And obviously he can be part of a massive revolution at United. But I, I, I don't think that he, could, he should come in a coaching sense. I do feel that if he works side by side with Solskjaer, you know, they have a very similar line of thought in terms of how they want their teams to play. Ranić yeah. is obviously experienced, um, but Solskjaer tries to... Uh, implement that counter-attacking aggressive style of philosophy, style of football. So they do have a very similar line of thought when it comes to their style of play. So if he works side by side, you know, as a technical director or a sporting director or whatever it's called nowadays, uh, if he works in that role, there's definitely a lot of potential in that. I do feel that United is the best option provided he gets the freedom. Um, every manager who's worked at United, whether it's Moyes and Mourinho or Van Hal, who's worked on a uh, the Blazers and the Woodward has complained about how they didn't have that sort of um, independence to do what they wanted and they were constrained by the financial situations of the clubs. But um, if they're willing to follow Ranić's method, he can definitely make a very good team for a very low cost. Um, yeah. And obviously, given his international 
uh, scouting. When when he joined the club, he brings this large network of contacts. If you look at the signings they made at Red Bull, Minamino came in from Japan, Dapa came in from Zambia, uh, Mane from Senegal, Keita from Guinea. Um, they all played for played in France or other countries at the time, but he has a very large network of contacts where he can get talented players at a young age for a very low price. So yeah. it's perfect for United, but they don't really make logical decisions anymore. So it seems pretty no. unlikely. But yeah, if people yeah. can go there, sure. I was actually quite intrigued to hear recently uh, when I was listening to another podcast, uh, a re- very well-respected German journalist said he was on the verge of joining Everton so just yeah. before Carlo Ancelotti took the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd actually has gone as far as agreeing a contract for him to take over Everton. I support Everton, so I was quite intrigued to hear that. Also, it's not the first time that he would have been interviewed for the Everton job because I know he, yep. he interviewed for it. Yep. Yeah, it's subject to Roberto, Mart- Roberto Martinez getting the job. So, yep. um, I mean, of- I, that would have been really exciting for me if someone, because he is someone that I've researched and I'm a big fan of. Yeah. So that, yeah. He's been linked to a lot of jobs in England in the past as well. In 2016, when uh, England sacked Roy Hodgson. They had a choice between Sam Aldice and Ralph Ranick and chose Sam Aldice, which obviously didn't work out very well. And uh, <laughs> even if you go back to 2011, when Liverpool, so I, uh, when Liverpool sacked Roy Hodgson, uh, Ralph Ranick was also let go off at Hoffenheim at the same time. And there was a, a slight small rumour that Ranick might take over, which would have been the start of basically the Klopp era, but, you know, eight, five, six yeah. years earlier. So... He has been linked to plenty of jobs in England. Even when he left, Schal- even when he left Schalke in 2011, uh, and he took a year-long break, there was reports of a lot of clubs in England wanting to take him, but a move never materialized, and he moved to Red Bull, which is where he had all the freedom. So there is almost—it's a bit like Bielsa, where people want him in the Premier League, um, but you know, at, at this moment, it seems pretty unlikely that he'll join in. Yeah. Yeah. And Karan, I'm talking about Leipzig again. Last season. I guess we can all agree upon the fact that they kind of overperformed in the Champions League. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cha- Champions League semi-final probably was an overachievement for them from a club perspective because I don't think the squad was ready to be a Champions League semi-finalist on paper. But again, they, they finished uh, third in the league last year. I mean, they, they had a really good season overall last last summer during Nagelsmann's first year again. But what really do you think is the next step for Leipzig? Because again, Bayern Munich, they, they compete against Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. Bayern are not showing any signs of going down anytime soon. They, they, they're also making really, really good additions whenever they need. And Champions League, again, it's, it's not always easy. So what do you think is realistically the next step for Leipzig? I think it's going to be, they'll, they'll want to finish in the top four again. This season, I think it'll be a little more tougher with Timo Werner gone. Um, the thing about Leipzig is it's difficult to tell what exactly the direction is at this moment. Um, they keep developing these excellent players, and each summer or every two years, uh, they keep leaving. You know, Navigator left in 2018, Werner left this summer, and maybe Upa Mekano will leave next year. So it's difficult to tell where exactly the direction is. I do feel that they need to win one major trophy very soon, uh, and the best chance of that is a DFB Pokal. Um, you know, once they win the trophy and it sort of certifies them as a club that's serious, that wants to uh, challenge Bayern, um, they will have that little more legitimacy and players will want to stay or, you know, more talented players will want to join. Uh, but it, I think this season will be a little more difficult with Werner gone. Uh, I think they'll finish fourth. 
behind Gladbach. Obviously, Gladbach has a defeat yesterday against Dortmund, but uh, I do feel that Gladbach will perform better than they will this season in, in time. Uh, but beyond that, maybe in the next three or four years, they will feel that they need to challenge Bayern in order to, you know, maintain themselves or, you know, certify themselves as a, as a massive club in Germany. Um, that's It'll take a while to develop. They're still fairly young in the Bundesliga. They've been playing in the league for, this is their fifth season. So they, they, they definitely do need to keep hold of some of their best players and obviously keep hold of Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I, I said a couple of months ago that they were the likeliest challenges to Bayern in two or three years' time. And I still feel in time that it'll come true, especially with Dortmund also being sort of that in that phase where they're selling their best players. Um, so... Yeah, that's, that's about it. You know, they need to keep their players basically and uh, win a trophy as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm quite intrigued to to know what Red Bull's approach to Leipzig is, Karen. Maybe you could probably touch on this a little bit more for any listeners that listen in to, to us after the sh- after the show. Is I think it's fair to say that Leipzig are the team, the the football team with the most potential under the Red Bull um, umbrella, given the fact that they are already in the top the top third of the Bundesliga, which is one of the most powerful or one of the, certainly one of the most best, one of the best leagues in European football. But when I look at Borussia Dortmund now, and you've just mentioned them there, I get the impression with them that they're almost happy to play second fiddle to Bayern Munich because there's been opportunities over the last couple of years uh, to sort of win the Bundesliga, I think. For, for Borussia Dortmund. And I know we were talk, we, Riffick mentioned there how good Bayern Munich are now, but before before the pandemic hit, I think it's easy to say that there was a title race on and given last year under Nico Kovac, there's an argument to say that Borussia Dortmund should have won the league as well, given given the lead that they had. Now, are Red Bull going to take an approach with Leipzig to say, right, let's be the number one? the number one team in Germany or are they just happy to make the German league a free horse title race or a free team league as opposed to just a two yeah the, you know you're right when you said that Dortmund it was a missed opportunity for them over the last two seasons even last season they had I think a seven point lead at one stage and arguably they should have won the Bundesliga you know they sort of collapsed even even though Bayern were revitalized in a way even when Hansi Flick came in so yeah. it was definitely a missed chance for Dortmund that they should have ended the, the Bayern monopoly of the league last season even Leipzig had that chance even Gladbach but they all yeah. collapsed bizarrely in the same time so um, you know Dortmund definitely do want to compete they want to be champions and they've said that countless times that they want to break the Bayern monopoly of the league and I feel that that's the same case with Leipzig as well you know the head coach of the Nagelsmann is always talking about wanting to compete with the best and so is a sporting director so um, you know they, they don't want to nobody wants to see this league being monopolized because it's such a great league with great players and coaches so there's definitely a, a point where they might feel that maybe they should drop or not maybe they should reduce this this philosophy yeah. of buying players and go for one or two more experienced names to you know carry them over the final line I, I do feel that that point will come maybe one or two years from now when they feel that they they have they have a squad that's developed enough, that's experienced yeah. enough. Maybe they'll spend a, a, a bit more on improving it on those two or three winners or leaders for their team in order to break the Bayern dominance. But you know, while while I say that they're competing against probably the best run club in in world football with Bayern, yeah, you know, 
by and always very ruthless. They don't mind. They don't carry that emotional baggage. You know, when Nico Kovac was a former player of theirs, he was performing poorly. He lost a few games and they sacked him. They were happy to do that. Not every club has that emotional attachment with their managers. So Bayern, they want to keep winning. They want to keep, um, you know, stamping their authority in whatever competition they play. So it's difficult to see their monopoly breaking. But um, if Dortmund and Leipzig buy those, spend those extra millions to buy those winners, um, I do feel that there will be more of a challenge for Bayern. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fair fair enough, Karan. So... Finally, before we end the podcast, uh, Karan, yeah. I'd just like to ask you one question. This is for our listeners. So, in your opinion, what do you think will the listeners get to read when your book is out? Or why do you think they should buy your book? Um, it's it's a combination of a lot of stories related to the Red Bull group. Um, it tells you about their philosophies and why they do what they do. And it obviously tells you about the people who are involved in it. If you're intrigued by uh, the Red Bull group and their their style of working, it's definitely a, a book worth reading for you. Um, if you know very little about them, then once again, it's it's this book is designed for you. So um, there's a lot of interviews in it, a lot of uh, reliable people talking about what they do. And there's a lot of uh, research done behind it to provide you with the best possible information uh, there's a massive portion in the book where I where I talk about uh, their recruitment, their academies, their their international scouting system, and if you're intrigued in that sort of thing, it, the book is designed for that. So, uh, in short, it's there to provide information on the Red Bull, on, on the Red Bull influence in football. And um, yeah, I hope it's a good read. If you, if you get a copy of the book, do let me know how it is. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I certainly will be purchasing it because I'm. Like I said, I'm very intrigued by uh, Red Bull's influence over football at the moment, uh, and, and and what's to come from them. Who knows? I mean, could say that the world is their oyster in terms of yep. uh, what they could achieve in football. Uh, you, you've mentioned your research. Uh, I was just wondering, could you elaborate a bit more on that, Karen? Could you could you tell us in detail a bit more about the research that you had to do for the book? Yeah, sure. Um- it's different from what I used to do before because when you research for online pieces, there's this, um, I don't know how to describe it in words, but you know when you, disc- when you do research for a book, there's more freedom because you have more time. Uh, online writing is more time sensitive, uh, but when you're writing a book, you just need to make sure it's, uh, it's readable 5, 10, 15 years from now. Yeah. Um, so a bit, it was a bit more difficult uh, and a lot more fun as well. Um, but my research started for the book back in November when I watched Leipzig play Mainz, who coincidentally they're playing today in the Bundesliga. Um, yeah, it started back then when they won 8-0 and I was really intrigued by how a group that's dis- that's disliked the world over uh, plays so well and so attractively. It started back then and I tried to learn more and more about uh, their international network firstly. Uh, I there was when I was writing the book uh, in February and March. You know, I was making a lot of calls and doing a lot of interviews with people around the world. Um, I spoke to a couple of journalists covering the New York Red Bulls. I spoke to a couple of journalists covering uh, football in Zambia. Uh, I spoke to one of the coaches, the youth coaches of Patsandaka and Inokomwepu, and they provided a lot of information. So that was a really good chat. Um, you know, they told me about how they how they were as young players, how their ambitions were. And all that. So 
it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, and you learn a lot of stuff in these in this process of process of research. You know, uh, I spoke to a lot of journalists based in Germany, and they told me a lot about Ralph Ranick and Julian Nagelsmann and people involved in Leipzig. Um, even Ernst Tanner, who I mentioned was the academy coach at Red Bull Salzburg when they won the UEFA Youth League, he provided me with a lot of fun anecdotes. Um, I don't want to give too much away right now, but um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. anecdotes. And then he told me a lot about uh, Marco Rose and Julian Nagelsmann and Jesse Marsh and even Randy Marsh, who was the assistant manager at Borussia Mönchengladbach. So yeah, they, they definitely told me a lot of good things, and it was fun to talk to them. And you know, in a way, I sort of built a good report with a, a few of those journalists and. Uh, professionals um but yeah that, that's it that's all i can say i mean it was in short it was a lot of fun uh very exhausting yeah. I was working maybe say eight nine ten hours a day when lockdown started so i had the time to do to pull it off as well um but yeah that's about it yeah and um and what's next for yourself <clears throat> now that the, now that the book's re- uh, ready for le- release and ready for pre- pre-order yeah have you got any more projects that you're working on? Um, at the moment, no. Uh, I'm thinking about my next book, um, but I want to see how the current, the Red Bull book performs, and obviously uh, Iberia Chronicles, which is the other book releasing on behalf of Football Chronicle. I want to see how that does as well. Um, yeah. But I want to see how these two books perform, and you know, if it's if I have the time, I will definitely consider doing a second book. I do. Ha- I do have a few ideas in mind. Um, one of them being about PSG's ownership under from the Qatari state, but that's yeah. all. That's all talk for the future. Um, we'll see how things go now with regards to my life and the book as well. Hopefully, if the stars align, there's no doubt that I'll do a second book. But yeah, all in good time. Yeah, yeah, that's fun, fantastic, um, and that brings an end to the to the show, doesn't it, Rifwe? Yeah, definitely. And we're, we're happy to have hosted you, Karan, once again. We are also happy to have had you on our website as well, although it's from the Football Chronicle archives. So thank yeah. you once again. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me so much. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I hope I made sense with my answers and it was good, good to talk to you. Yeah, definitely. No, yeah. Definitely. It's a p- pleasure having you on, uh, Karan. And just for any listeners that want to read any more of Karen's work I first come across some of your work on breaking the lines in these football times I think the articles are fantastic I really do some really really good information within them and uh, I don't think I've ever read an article of yours where I haven't learned something after the article so I think I think that's the aim of anyone reading the article isn't it so that's good to hear thank you so much yeah yeah you're very welcome yeah so that brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you once again to all our listeners for tuning in to this episode. Until the next episode, bye-bye. Take care.